0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the third edition of the revamped Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove with Cleveland.com, and I am joined, as always, by Cavaliers beat reporter Chris Fedor, and uh, Chris is fresh off a trip to New Orleans. Uh, He got back in time for the game on Saturday as the Cavs fell to the Indiana Pacers. I am currently running around the city of Cleveland, and that's kind of how this podcast is going to go. We're (laughs) going to be on the road. He's going to be on the road. We're going to have to do this, and and talk to each other while we're in transit. But in any case, Chris, how was the trip to New Orleans? Uh, How was the trip to Bourbon Street? And uh, how was Zion Williamson?
1: It was great. It was fantastic. The food was sensational. Uh, I tried some weird new things. Um, I got to hang out with Joe Varden from The Athletic, who used to be with Cleveland.com. We spent a couple of days together. And Zion was fantastic. Uh, He's just a bully, man. Like, He overpowers dudes. He went through Kevin Love repeatedly. He went through Larry Nance Jr. repeatedly. And I just kept thinking while watching him, Hayden, he doesn't know how to play yet. (laughs) Like, He's 19 years old and he's a dominant force already. Just wait until he learns how to play. Just wait until he learns how to use his right hand. He's just scratching the surface and he's already dominating dudes. Dudes that have been in the NBA a long time, dudes that have been all stars in the NBA. He moves everybody but Giannis. That's just how imposing he is. It's incredible.
0: I mean, it is incredible. And, you know, it just, every time you think about it, you think about what could have been in Cleveland. You know, the Cavaliers had one of them, had an opportunity for the top pick. And at least every time I see him, you know, first of all, I love watching him play. Last night he was in L- uh, they? Were they in, no, they were in New Orleans, right? Last night or were they in L.A.?
1: Who's that? The Pelicans. The Pelicans were in New Orleans. They were in New Orleans last yep. night.
0: Okay. So the, Le- he had 35 against LeBron, and the Lakers yep. went, ended up winning the game. But, I mean, every time I watch Zion, and I love watching him, I just think of what could have been in wine and gold, you know? I mean, what, yes. what it would have been like to see him playing with Colin Sexton, playing with guys like Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson, and uh, it's just, again, we've talked, we've, t- we've t- touched upon this multiple times. It's just so difficult for the Cavaliers because they didn't get one of those top three picks in yep. last year's lottery.
1: Yes. I mean, the entire complexion of this rebuild would be different if they had John ja Morant, if they had Zion Williamson, if they would have been in position to get Luka Doncic or Trey Young. That's just the reality of it. And it's part of what makes this rebuild so difficult, Hayden, is that the Cavs, um, yes, they have a plan in place. They have a way that they want to do things, but because of the path that they're taking and the one that they feel like is best for them to take, luck comes into play. It does. It comes into play for every team when you start playing the lottery. And that can be dangerous, and that can be tricky, and that can be really, really frustrating. But if you hit, all of a sudden, the complexion of the rebuild changes in an instant. I was also watching the New Orleans game the other night thinking the same thing that you were thinking, Hayden, like how different things would be for the Pelicans. Like, yes, they traded Anthony Davis and they were smart to pick up Brandon Ingram and he's turned into an all-star caliber player. And they did good with that trade because they also got Lonzo Ball, who's like the engine of the offense, and they got Josh Hart. But they also got the number one pick. And, And Zion is the center of everything. And if you took him out of that, if they didn't have that lottery luck, You could still look at Brandon Ingram. You could still look at some of those other pieces that they got. But they would be missing the centerpiece. And every single rebuild, Hayden, needs that centerpiece. And that's the thing that I think still is missing for the Cavs. Now, can Kevin Porter Jr. change that? Can he become that cornerstone piece the way that Kyrie did the first time the Cavs uh, tried the rebuild post-LeBron? Maybe there are a lot of people within the organization that feel like Kevin Porter Jr. is the most talented of the young kids. There are a lot of Kevin Porter Jr.'s teammates who feel like he's the best of the group. So maybe, maybe he becomes that kind of centerpiece. But that's still right now as we talk. If I had to pick a missing link of this rebuild, that's what it is. I I absolutely agree that you need that centerpiece and
0: and the Cavs just unfortunately. And as you said, it could be Kevin Porter Jr., but it doesn't look right now like it's Colin Sexton. doesn't look right now like it's Darius Garland. And um, I guess I wanted to get into what you tried, but I guess we can we can save that for the end of the podcast. Give some
1: whatever. I tried a lot of
0: different things, man. All right. So we'll we'll, we'll save that for the end as, as we get towards the end of the podcast, because this is a good segue into the talk about Colin Sexton. And, you know, we mentioned some of the things we wanted to hit on in this podcast. And, you know, you mentioned that, that Kevin Porter Jr. is the most talented guy, in, according to the Cavs, according to players on the team, of the young group of guys that the Cavaliers have acquired over the last couple of years. So with that said, you know, Colin Sexton has been putting up better numbers as of late, has been playing better. But what is I mean, what is his ceiling? What is Colin Sexton at his best? I mean, is this a guy who can be? you know, worthy of the number five overall pick when it's all said and done? Or is this a guy who's at his ceiling? You know, I've heard a lot of talk about, oh, well, he's a six man. He's, you know, a guy who can come off the bench and be a great scorer. He's kind of like an Eric Bledsoe. What do you feel about Colin Sexton? Where is his ceiling if he does end up, you know, kind of finding his top uh, gear in the NBA?
1: So before I answer that, let me flip it. So let's say he is Eric Bledsoe, right? Okay. Let's say he becomes that kind of guy. Are you good with that?
0: For the number five overall pick, he was uh, number
1: eight. Don't forget, he was number eight overall.
0: Yes, you're right. Darius Garland was number five. Yeah. Um, I'm. Yeah. I'm gonna say that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, what? What? You go first because I'm kind of I'm kind of in limbo on that one. I would say maybe.
1: Okay. Look. Eric Bledsoe is a key piece of a championship contending team in the Milwaukee Bucks. The best Well, I
0: guess that's my game. I guess that's my point. That the Cavaliers, you know, it depends on where the Cavaliers are. Am I okay with Colin Sexton being a Eric Bledsoe type player if they find a stud and they end up making, you know, kind of really turning this thing around? Yes. Am I okay with it if he's the
1: centerpiece? No. Right. So I think that's the thing that's so hard in any Colin Sexton conversation. Right. So like a lot of the things that people hold against him, Hayden, aren't his fault. Like it's not his fault that he turned into the centerpiece of the Kyrie Irving trade. Is it? No, absolutely
0: no, no. No. There first no, there's no blame on Colin Sexton for what his role is in that in the whole rebuild process, I guess. Right.
1: And it's not his fault that the Cavs decided that he was a better option than Shea Gilgis Alexander and Michael Porter Jr. That was their decision. It's not Colin's fault that he went number eight overall. Um, It's not his fault that he's had four different coaches in two years. Like, think about all of the things that this young kid has had to deal with. A lesser kid, Hayden. I truly believe this. And this is one of the reasons why I often defend Colin Sexton. And there are reasons to be critical of Colin. No doubt about it. He's not a finished product. He's got to be better as a passer. Um, He has to see the plays develop rather than reacting slowly. There are a lot of things that he has to do better. He has to defend better. He's been terrible defensively this year, just like he was last year. But at the same time, this is a second-year kid who just turned 21, who has had so much thrown at him in his first two years in the NBA that a lesser kid would have broken. And he hasn't. Not only has he not broken Hayden, he's averaging 20 a game, 20 a game. And you can sit there and you can say, well, he's on a bad team and somebody has to score the ball. And you can sit there and say, well, you know, he's taking advantages of bad defense and stuff like that. Like whatever you want to say, he's averaging 20 a game and he just turned 21 years old. There's not a lot of dudes that can roll out of bed and give you 20 a night and do it efficiently. So he's doing it efficiently. He's doing it consistently. He's consistently been the best scorer that the Cavs have had, even though he plays on a team with Kevin Love, plays on a team with Kevin Porter Jr., Larry Nance Jr., some of those other more accomplished guys. Not Kevin Porter Jr., but the other ones being more accomplished throughout the course of their career. So it's just just hard for me to put a ceiling on him because every time you do want to do that, He kind of breaks through, doesn't he? Like, his rookie year, he wasn't supposed to be what he was. He wasn't supposed to shoot 40% from three-point range. He wasn't supposed to be that kind of scorer. He was supposed to have a lot of struggles. He was supposed to not be able to be faster than most opponents and more athletic than most opponents to be able to get his way to the basket. And he did. And he became... Um, second-team all-rookie, had a strong case to be first-team all-rookie. And then coming into this year, he gets off to like a slower start and people are like, okay, his shot is regressing to what it was back when he was in college, and the first year was a fluke, and now here he is again in this sensational run that has now lasted two months since Jordan Clarkson got traded and more responsibility was heaped on him, and he's thriving. He's been really, really good. One of the best players in the entire Eastern Conference over the last two months. That's not a fluke. So every time you think you can put a ceiling on this kid and every time you tell this kid he can't do something, he goes out and he proves you wrong. So I don't think the Cavs know who he is ultimately. I don't know that that they know like what his best fit is moving forward. I think they're still figuring that out. And I, I don't think... I don't think it's a bad thing that they don't know those things at this stage of his development, um, because I think those answers are go- going to come at some point in the future. Well, with Colin Sexton, again,
0: I, I, do, do you, where do you think that, you know, you talk a lot about the blame that, or you know, the Colin Sexton doesn't shouldn't incur this blame, Colin Sexton has proven time and time again that he's, you know, proving, proving people wrong and doing things better than he should. And he's young, he's 21. So why do you think that there is kind of a sense of, I wouldn't say vitriol, but kind of disappointment in Colin when it's kind of been actually the opposite, when you actually look at what he's done um, from a numerical standpoint and from an age standpoint and a development standpoint?
1: Who's disappointed in Colin? That's the real question. Yeah. Right? I
0: mean, I mean, well, you're 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 around. I mean, you I I tend to see, you know, from social media, from people get from places in which people can give opinions. You know, you tend to see that there are people that are disappointed in in Colin Sexton and at, at times, at very least. Is that unfair?
1: So I think those people I don't think it's unfair. I think he's the most polarizing player since Kyrie Irving in this franchise. Really, I do. Um, But remember, there were a lot of fans that didn't like Kyrie early on in his career, said he didn't pass, and said he was a ball hog, right? And then all of a sudden, LeBron James comes in part because of Kyrie and because of his talent, and Kyrie shows himself to be more of a team player. He blends into the fabric of the team, and he hits the biggest shot in franchise history, and he's the second best player in franchise history. So... I mean, it's hard when you're going through rebuilds. You like want these guys to be Luka Doncic right away. You want them to be Trey Young right away. And not everybody's going to progress along the same timeline. Not everybody is going to evolve um, at the rate that you want them to evolve. Uh, At the same time, I think Colin Sexton does get taken for granted. The things that he's able to do consistently on a nightly basis, not a lot of guys in his rookie class have been able to do. Um, So I think it starts with him being really polarizing. I think his style is difficult for some. I think the fact that he came into the NBA and he had a point guard label attached to him, people are not willing to see that he's not a point guard. They're not willing to accept that he's not a point guard. Um, I think on top of that, it's the fact that he was the centerpiece of the Kyrie Irving trade. He was the piece that the Cavs wouldn't trade when they were trying to make that last run for an NBA championship for LeBron James. It's like a lot of that kind of stuff. And the other thing is, I think too often, uh, whether it's in the NBA, Major League Baseball or the NFL, Hayden, I just think too often people have a tendency to focus on what a guy can't do and it causes them to miss what a guy can do. And I think that's what has happened with Colin Sexton. People are focusing so much on the fact that he can't pass better. He can't defend. And he can't be a quote-unquote point guard. And they're just overlooking all the good things that he can do.
0: Isn't that life in general, though? Is that People yes, tend
1: to – that's, that's life in general. Look, people I mean, hey, to... if we go back to the NFL drafts of past – Like, people focused on Deshaun Watson not having enough velocity. Like, how ridiculous was that? Like, the guy was a star at every single level. He was a great quarterback at every single level. He elevated everybody around him. But he didn't throw the ball hard enough for some people, right? He had too many interceptions his last year at Clemson. Like, Andrew Luck got picked apart. Think about that. He was, like, the cleanest quarterback prospect in the world. And he got picked apart. So it just... It's the way it goes, and I just think when people do that with Colin, they're missing the good things that he brings to the table. Now, some people might say, well, his teammates have been really, really hard on him too, and that's true. They have. Going back to last year, at times this year, you could see some disdain with them. I've talked to many players on and off the record about that particular thing, and what they continue to say to me is that part of the reason why they're so hard on Colin is because they see it. Because they see the talent, and they want him to be great, and they think he has a chance to take his game to the next level if he listens and he makes some of the changes that they want him to make. But all of the criticism, all of the disappointment that they have shown at times throughout the course of the year and last year, it's all coming from a good place of wanting this kid to be great because they see so much natural ability with him.
0: Yeah, and I guess my question with in regards to that is, you know, like, by all accounts, I mean, being around Colin, he seems to be a great kid. He seems to, you know, be an incredibly hard worker and seems to keep his mouth shut and seems to just be kind of happy-go-lucky. And, you know, it, the, the vitriol, is that the best – or not the vitriol, I think that's a too harsh a word. Um, Probably. Kind of the the disappointment. Does, is that kind of how Colin gets motivated? Is that the, is that the kind of guy he is that, you know, if, if guys are upset with him that – and they, they voice their displeasure, that he'll take that to heart and kind of look inward and say, okay, you know, I do need to fix this. I'm going to work on this. Is that how he is, you know, the best motivated?
1: Um, I've talked to a lot of people around Colin. Um, he has a very small inner circle. Yeah. Um, he keeps things tight. And I've talked to all of those people. And, yes, they have said that Colin um, – uses all of the criticism as fuel um he used last year's rising star snub as fuel he used last year not making first team all rookie as fuel this offseason um he likes to prove people right but he also likes to prove people wrong and every time um somebody says colin can't do something he basically wants to say all right bleep you i'm gonna prove you wrong that's just how he's wired
0: so that would make sense in regards to how they kind of went about, you know, how guys in the locker room and how the team kind of went about him. Um, you know, it, it, does J.B. Bickerstaff have, you know, is J.B. Bickerstaff a bigger, better motivator for Colin? Is he a better fit in that regard? In re- or was John Beeline maybe
1: somebody who he kind of uh, felt more in tune with? What do you mean by that? It,
0: in terms of, In terms of his ability to develop and to get better, was he is he more kind of on the same page with with JB as is kind of the case with maybe some other guys or is, you know, was, was beeline better for Colin in that motivational regard?
1: I don't know. I think that's a good question. And I think it remains to be seen. I think it's, it's so hard to form those kind of conclusions um, when there's such a small sample size, when it comes to the Cavs and JB Pickard staff Um, in saying that, The person that has been overseeing the development of Colin Sexton is player development lead Mike Garrity. Um, He's the guy who worked with Colin all of last year. He's the guy who works with Colin before every single game. Um, He's the guy who works with Colin before and after practices. So it's clear that the Cavs have an investment in Colin Sexton. Uh, To what level, I think that remains to be seen. But they believe in him they like him. Um, They've committed a lot of time to trying um, to make him a a piece of this franchise moving forward. Um, It might be too early to say cornerstone piece. It might be too early to say building block. Um, But I I still think um, there is a belief that that Colin has a place within this organization um, when it comes to this rebuild. In fact, So around the trade deadline, there was a lot of speculation about Colin Sexton and whether the Cavs were going to sneakily package him with somebody else or if they were just going to stealthily try and trade him under the radar. I was told around that time, um, going into the trade deadline, that Colin would absolutely be with the organization beyond the trade deadline, and all that speculation was just nonsense. Um, So I, I just... I I don't know what he is in the future, if he's a six man, if he's a starting two guard. Um, Him and Darius, really hard to see them thriving together, um, especially on the defensive end for the next three to five years. I have questions about that. I think people in the organization have questions about that. Um, But Colin Sexton has been the most consistent piece of the last two years of this rebuild. And I think wanting to move on from him, um, if you do, if somebody out there does, I think it's awfully soon for that kind of conclusion.
0: So we've we've touched a lot about Colin Sexton, but you mentioned somebody there who kind of flies under the radar a little bit in regards to, you know, being a big, being a, a higher selection in the draft and yes, being younger, being less experienced, but maybe not you know, kind of showing the late-year improvement that Colin did, and that's Darius Garland. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he's dealt with some injury. He's been out for a couple games. And, you know, what what is your take on what Darius has done this season? I mean, you said you don't foresee him and Colin being the, get there together for, you know, the next five years. Is Darius Garland a guy that you're going to have to see for a couple more years before you make a move? Or is, is this something to where you find Darius Garland and Colin Sexton in the backcourt and say, well, we, you know, we love Colin. maybe Darius will have to try to, you know, find a home for him.
1: All right. So this is tough because coming into the year, the Cavs knew that it was going to be a tough year for Darius. Yeah. Um, he played four full games in college. He had a cleanup surgery after an original surgery. So I had talked to many people within the organization and they had said it over and over and over before the season even started. Chris we're not going to see the real Darius until around the All-Star break. That's what they felt. His okay. explosiveness, the quickness, the shiftiness, the comfort playing the game again. Like he had to shake off a lot of rust. Um so that's from the very very beginning. Those were internal expectations. And I think you're starting to see Darius make some progress, right in terms of double-figure scoring games. Among his rookie class, he ranks third. Not bad. Um, In terms of assists, those continue to go up for Darius. He's seeing the floor better. Uh, J.B. Bickerstaff said the other night that one of his goals for Darius in the final 20 games or so is to become more of a floor general. Um, Become a guy where J.B. doesn't have to call all the plays from the sidelines, where Darius can get the ball. And he can put the calves in the offense and he can have the freedom and the trust from the coaching staff and the belief in himself to operate the team like most experienced point guards do. So that's a good thing when you're starting to see that kind of develop uh, development from him as well. Um, in saying that, like I asked a number of different players behind the scenes this year why they weren't harder on Darius the way that they were on Colin last year. Because it was surprising to me. Because at one point in the season, Hayden, Darius Garland was worse as a rookie than Colin was as a rookie. All the numbers pointed to Darius being the worst rookie out of this class. Again, there were factors that played into it. But I was curious why he wasn't getting the same kind of internal criticism that Colin had to deal with. Um, And the two theories floated to me were, one, Darius was willing to listen a little bit more he was willing to take criticism a little bit more and try to do things the right way. Even if he didn't know how, even if he wasn't, even if he wasn't playing well, he was trying to make the changes that they were suggesting. The other part of it is Darius was protected from the very beginning. Darius shares an agent with Tristan Thompson and before he was traded, Jordan Clarkson. So whereas there's that natural connection between Darius, Tristan and JC. And sometimes locker room dynamics are about relationships. They can be about politics. They can be about brotherhood. Um, and Darius came in with a built-in relationship with two uh, very important members of the organization behind the scenes in JC and Tristan. Whereas Colin doesn't have anybody like that in that locker room. Um, Last year, Colin, the closest Colin um, got to anybody was probably Blossom Game, actually, just because of where they were in their careers, the common interests that they held. Kevin Love wasn't around. You know, Tristan Thompson was dealing with injuries. George Hill got traded. I think it was in December, something like that. Mm-hmm. so so Colin just didn't have that protection he didn't have that built-in ally the way that Darius has had and I think that's part of it as well um, but if we're evaluating Darius's season I would say that it's been filled with ups and downs it's gotten a lot better here in February but at one point he was one of the worst rookies in this class
0: yeah the Darius um, I mean go ahead
1: oh sorry I thought that was uh I thought that was you on the other.
0: It must have been some audio issues. But, um, I mean, in regards to Darius Garland, yeah, I mean, I, you know, you mentioned that it's just going to be a wait-and-see game. I mean, because he, you haven't really seen him yet. I mean, where is he at health-wise right now? Um, having only played, you know, like you said, four games in college, here's an yeah. 82-game NBA season. Uh, they have about 20 games or so left. I mean, wh- wh- will he be able to finish this thing? Or is it just going to be, uh, you know, a lot to ask of him to kind of, be at 100% or be close to 100% for the rest of this season going forward.
1: So he's sitting tonight's game against Utah with a groin strain. And I think in the final couple of weeks here, I think there might be some more of those opportunities for the Cavs to try and sit him Because it has been a long season. It's been a lot. And in February, Hayden, he's averaging 34 minutes a night. Think about that. Yeah, it's a lot. And part of it is... They just haven't had that reliable backup point guard. Matthew Della Vadova has been a complete disappointment because he hasn't been able to make a shot for most of the season. They thought going into the year that they would be deep at that spot and they could, you know, allow Delhi and, and Brandon Knight maybe to take some of that pressure off of Darius from a point guard standpoint. And it just it never got to that point. There was never a belief in Brandon, the coaching staff. Uh, didn't have that same kind of trust in him uh, the way that the previous coaching staff did. Uh, they didn't they didn't use him in the rotation uh, the way that Larry Drew was willing to use him. And then Delhi fell out of favor quickly because they were playing four on five on offense. Um, right. So I think you're going to have over the next couple of weeks some moments where they try and uh, pull Darius back a little bit Um, and not push him too, too hard going into this offseason, because the offseason is going to be really, really important for his growth and his development. To take some of the stuff, Hayden, that he learned in his rookie year and try and work on those kinds of things and come better as a sophomore um, and and maybe live up to the fifth overall pick standing. Uh, He's still a guy who has a lot of belief inside this organization. Uh, Tristan Thompson said that he saw Damian Lillard-type qualities. Um, so nobody's ready to give up on Darius or just throw him to the side, uh, just because this this rookie season's been rocky at times. Uh, these things take a lot of time, and we're talking about kids, we're talking about kids that have to grow physically and mentally, and it's just really hard to evaluate them properly. Um, because so many people want answers right now, right? Like everybody wants to know, is this thing going to work? And is Darius and Colin going to be the backcourt of the future? Or is it going to be Darius and KPJ? There just aren't those answers right now. And and I don't think most rebuilds have those answers this quick into the process. It's a tough thing.
0: It's a tough thing in regards to, you know, the Cavaliers winning a championship four years ago. And you know, you're back at this point now after yep. um, a successful run. And I think fans, you know, unfortunately in Cleveland, and this is a, maybe a conversation for another podcast, but at least in my estimation, you know, Cav- the Cavs are kind of the third wheel in terms of fandom. I mean, the, I think the rabid fans are rabid fans, but, um, you know, they're, they haven't been they've been around the shortest of the three big franchises in town. Obviously, I think the Browns get for whatever reason, get the longest leash. And uh, the Indians seem to, you know, have done some good things over the last twenty, twenty-five years. So I think the Cavaliers fans, at this point, at least in my estimation, it's just kind of difficult for them because when they're into it, they're into it because the Cavs are winning, sure. I and mean, when they're not, you know, because they're not winning right now, it just makes it that much more um, difficult to be patient.
1: Yeah, and you know, look, if if there's one thing that you can say about Darius that is um, the biggest disappointment of his rookie season. And it's the fact that he hasn't been able to shoot the ball that well. That was supposed to be something that he could rely on. That was supposed to be one of the characteristics um, that would allow him to get through some of the tougher times. Like, that was the thing that he could lean on. And he's shooting 35% from three-point range. He's shooting 40% from the field. He's having a hard time finishing at the rim. He's having a hard time getting all the way to the rim. So if there are things that might be cause for alarm... Uh, those would be them. Um, but again, the talent is there. There's a reason why he was the fifth overall pick. And they never drafted him to be the best player from the rookie class in the 2019-2020 season. It was about the future and believing that a few years down the road, he could be you know, that point guard of the future to drive this offense into the next decade.
0: We've touched on Colin. We've touched on Darius. Uh, we might as well kind of keep going through the uh, the, the starting five in Cleveland. Uh, Jetty Osman. I mean, he's, you know, kind of the wing guy right now. And I, I think it's fair to say that, again, uh, you know, maybe maybe Colin hasn't been disappointing. Maybe Darius hasn't been disappointing. But when you look at Jetty Osman, I mean, you know, at least when I you know, when I, when I watched him, when he was a member of the LeBron James led Cavaliers, I mean, I saw immediate kind of growth and immediate development and at least in my estimation that seems to have slowed what is Jedi osman's future in cleveland what do they think of him and why if i'm if you are on the same page that i am why is he kind of falling off the way that he has
1: um look i just think uh i just think he is who he is yeah <laughs> you know some guys I remember talking to a couple of coaches before the season and it was about Jetty. Um, and it was just about ceilings of players. And I asked them, I said, so Jetty had this breakout year last year where he improved across the board. I said, how do you know when that's it? Or what do you look for to tell you that there's going to be more than just that? And I think at some points this year, Hayden, they wanted to kind of give Jetty more to see if he could do it. So we'll give him more. We'll put more on his plate and see if he can still thrive that way. And then I think they were like, you know what? Jetty might be the kind of guy where you take stuff off of his plate. He only focuses on a few things. And then he can look better. So I just think... While we're talking about ceiling with Colin Sexton and Kevin Porter Jr. and Darius Garland, I think Jetty Osman's ceiling was probably what happened last year. That's about as good as it was going to get for him. Now, he's still young, but just because you're young doesn't mean that you can get better. At some point, your skill set is what your skill set is, and you're maxed out. And I think if Dylan Windler would have been healthy this year, Hayden, the Cavs would already have a new starting small forward. It probably would have happened in December or January. But Jetty's in the starting lineup because they don't have any other options. So I just think if you're looking at Jetty and you're trying to figure out who he is moving into the future, he's miscast as a starter in the NBA. That's not him. That's not going to be him. He's probably the eighth, ninth, tenth guy in a rotation down the road. And if you look at the contract that the Cavs gave him, the contract extension, it doesn't point to a starting small forward. It points to a backup.
0: Absolutely fair.
1: And so I guess when you're saying that, you know, if if
0: obviously we don't know what's gonna happen in free agency, but if the Cavaliers somehow I mean, it's not gonna happen, but if Dylan Windler was healthy, I mean you you said that the Cavaliers would have their Um, you know, starting small forward and that you would, you would assume that to be the case going into next season. So Jerry Austin, if, if Jerry Austin is somehow the starting small forward next season, the Cavaliers there, there would have to have been a lot of things that either went wrong or somebody got hurt or something along those lines.
1: Look, I mean, I just think it's hard to find somebody to play that position in the NBA. Everybody in the league is looking for that kind of guy. Uh, Those guys come at a premium. There's a reason why um, Boston didn't let Jalen Brown hit the free agent market, and they agreed to a contract extension with him um, before this season started. There's a reason why the Sacramento Kings uh, made some trades around the edges so that they could position themselves um, to match any offer sheet that Bogdanovich is going to get this summer. There's a reason why Utah decided to agree to a contract extension shortly before the trade deadline with Royce O'Neal. Those guys are just hard to find. 3 and D guys are really hard to find. Guys that can give you starter quality minutes at one of the toughest, most grueling positions in the NBA that features LeBron James, Giannis, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. The list goes on and on and on. It's not easy to find guys that can man that spot and give you starter's minutes. So if Jetty is the starting small forward uh, next year, it probably is a bad thing for the Cavs in the short term. Um, and it probably means that they weren't able to address it in the draft because of where they were slotted or because of what was available for them at the time, or they weren't able to use any kind of free agency money. Um, and they're not going to have much this offseason, unless Andre Drummond opts out of his contract. If he opts out of his contract, all of a sudden the Cavs could have 20 to $40 million to spend in free agency. But if he opts in, all the Cavs can offer in a free agent um, market is basically like $9, $10 million of the mid-level exception. Um, And I just don't know that that gets you a huge upgrade on Jetty Osman at the small forward spot. So I think think ultimately it's Dylan Windler's spot if he can get right and if he can get healthy. And the things that he brings in terms of uh, shooting, I think that's very, very important for this group moving forward.
0: Before we get into your uh, food adventures in New Orleans and before
1: you got to get ready
0: for the game tonight. By the way, I will be at the game Wednesday. I'll be there Saturday and Sunday as well. So uh, back back for uh, for a little bit of this homestand. Um, So it'll be good to see you and see everybody at the arena. Uh, So you got to get ready for that tonight. But before all that, you mentioned Andre Drummond. It's been a couple weeks. What have you thought of the Andre Drummond trade? What do you think in regards to his contract? What do you think in regards to his uh, option? What do you think in regards to the entirety
1: of the trade in general thus far? So here's the thing that I don't think we can lose sight of, Hayden. Okay. What the Cavs gave up in order to get Andre Drummond. Yes. Because at the end of the day, I just think... Any team in any position, if they only had to give up Brandon Knight, John Henson, and second rounders, they would have been like, yep, all right, got it, absolutely. We would do that deal. Um, and it doesn't mean that the minute that the Cavs acquired Andre Drummond, that they were fully committed to him. Right. It meant that they wanted to see. Let's see how he works with Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. Let's see how he works with Kevin Porter Jr. Let's see how he works with Kevin Love. Let's see if the big man rotation makes sense with somebody like Andre Drummond. Let's see if J.B. Bickerstaff's offense and defense needs somebody that brings the kind of skill set that Drummond does. It's an experiment. It was always an experiment. In saying that, I don't know, man. I think he's an odd fit. I think he's an odd fit in the locker room, and I think he's an odd fit on the court. And I'd say in the locker room just because I think he's struggling big time. Detroit was all he ever knew. Detroit's where he became a man. It's where he started a family. It's where he had his first kid. And then all of a sudden, midway through the season, his life changes. That's tough. Yeah, I know he makes 20-something million dollars. And I know that he's a two-time NBA All-Star. But he's human. And this has been really tough on him. He's living in John Henson's old apartment because he has no clue what the future holds for him. He doesn't know if he's going to be with the Cavs. He doesn't know if he's going to opt into his contract or opt out of his contract. So it's just a lot. And I feel like we probably have to give him a little latitude to find his way. And he's also really tough to play with. He's a big man that plays primarily around the rim, except for when he drifts out to the three-point line and shoots unnecessarily three-pointers, which is happening a little bit too much. But adding a guy like him, Hayden it's a significant change to the way that you stylistically play offensively and defensively. And I think it's been tough for the Cavs, and I think it's been tough on Drummond. Um, I don't know.
0: So with that said, I mean, it, it's far too early to tell what's going to happen, right, in regards to his option, in regards to, you know, how he actually fits. I mean, as of today, your guess as, as to what Andre Drummond would do
1: in regards to his option uh, going into next season, opt in one hundred percent. Opt in. It's twenty eight point seven million dollars. Yeah, it's a free agency um, market where uh, not a lot of people are going to be looking for those kinds of centers. Um, and on top of that, not a lot of teams have money. Yeah, no, that's true. That's very Dejected true. Projected cap space is coming from, I think, Atlanta. And they're loaded at center because they just traded for Clint Capella at the trade deadline. So take them out. Projected cap space, Detroit, they're not doing it. They already made that decision. Charlotte, I mean, is he going to opt out of his contract and then sign a big one with the Charlotte Hornets? Really? Can't see that happening. Uh, I think Memphis might have some projected cap space coming up, but they've got to be careful because they've got money committed to Jonas Valanciunas. So do you want to put Drummond, Valanciunas, and Jaron Jackson together? Probably not. Um, So they're probably out. Is he going to go to the Knicks for a payday? Maybe he opts out and he decides to go to the New York Knicks. Um, But there's just not a lot of teams with projected cap space, and the ones with projected cap space are not going to be all that appealing to to Drummond or other free agents out there. So I think given the way that the market um, has devalued guys like him, It makes the most sense for him to opt into his contract, stay here with the Cavs, extend this experiment a little bit longer, see if it can be a fit for him and the Cavs, and then regroup, reassess in 2021 free agency when a bunch of teams are going to have money because they're hoarding cap space to take a run at Giannis. But not everybody's going to get Giannis. So it's probably going to be a situation very similar to the way that it was in LeBron's free agency, where a lot of teams, they hoarded cap space, they took a run at LeBron, they didn't get LeBron, so they had to go the next level free agent, and that's where maybe Andre Drummond could get a better payday. But I don't think that the Cavs are committed one way or the other to Andre Drummond long-term building block here. I just don't think they've seen enough. And honestly, I think there are some that have doubts about his fit with this group um, moving beyond this uh, final three, four-week stretch.
0: Well, if he does opt in, that, that at least gives him some time in Cleveland to, you know, maybe show some something else. Uh, as you said, he is struggling. He is, you know, trying to find his way here in Cleveland. He's living in John Henson's old apartment. I mean, it's got to be a lot of change for him. And it is uh, again. It's it's hard for me to make sure that or it's hard for me to make an or make a uh, judgment on him in the short term. So it makes sense for me. But enough, enough of the shop talk. We could talk Cavs all day. I know you're around them all the time, but you like to get away from it. I like to get away from it, especially in the season that admittedly has probably been an immense struggle for you. It's been an immense struggle for the Cavaliers, um, <laughs> but you spent a couple of days in New Orleans, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, and you had some adventures in regards to your palate. Am I right?
1: Uh, yes, I did.
0: All right, now, so let's let's go through a little bit. You know, tell right. us a little bit about what you were what you were trying down there.
1: Keep in mind, I'm not always adventurous when it comes to um, food. food. I know what I like. I like what I like. Yeah, and I order what I like. Can't blame you. Can't blame you. Do so what you got to do. So I'm not going to sit here and say that I all of a sudden decided to try frog legs or alligator or things like that. But I feel like I did get a little bit. Um, A little bit wild, from from the standpoint of you're evaluating me, right? Okay. So my wild and your wild might be a little bit different.
0: It's it's your scale.
1: Yes, thank you very much. Appreciate that. And it has to be graded on a curve because of that. Sure, that's fair. I tried pork cheeks. Okay. I don't know what they are, but they were really good.
0: Okay, so you like the pork cheeks, and where was this?
1: This was at a place called, I believe it's Cachone in the warehouse district of New Orleans. Joe and I Beautiful. met there for dinner the night before the game. Beautiful. Cachone. Yeah. All right. Pork cheeks. Pork cheeks. And they came in like a pumpkin puree. And Ooh, I don't do pumpkin anything, but it was really good.
0: So you don't do pumpkin pie. You don't do pumpkin. No. no. Okay. No pumpkin,
1: pumpkin spice prefer- latte, pumpkin anything. No. I, I don't You get know pumpkin. what?
0: There are people that would that would call us both pumpkin la- spice latte guys, but for some reason I d- wouldn't see you at the pumpkin spice latte.
1: I'm not. I'm a chai tea latte guy. Oh, chai
0: tea latte. Okay, fair. yeah, fine. But
1: don't right, put so pumpkin
0: port- in my coffee. No. Pork cheek pure or pork cheeks with pumpkin puree. Yep. Say that five times fast.
1: Yeah. At shown
0: All right. Where, where, what else are we looking at?
1: We also got an appetizer of boudin. I think it's called boudin or poutine. No, no, I've had poutine before. i okay. had that in Canada. Booty, okay. I think, or Boudin, or Boudin, okay. or something ba- like that.
0: So I know how it's spelled, B-O-U-D-I-N, right?
1: Yes. Okay. Right. Let's look at the correct pronunciation. So anyway, but go on as we do that. So, I mean, that's a Cajun thing. Yeah. That was pretty adventurous for me. Now, I don't know exactly what it was. Do you want me um, to tell you what it was? I mean, it was some kind of sausage, right? Yes. A
0: white sausage made of pork without the blood. Pork, liver, and heart meat are typically included. In Cajun versions, the sausage is made from a pork rice dressing, which is stuffed into pork pork casings. All right. Right. So, I I like it.
1: So, for me, that's pretty adventurous. Yeah. And it was really good. I mean, it was probably my favorite thing that I ate while I was down in New Orleans, to be honest with you. Beautiful. So, it just goes... Show that when you venture out of your comfort zone, sometimes you can be surprised in a good way.
0: Hey, absolutely. I'm trying to look up. I'm trying to look up how to pronounce it. It looks like it could be boudet, Boudie, something like that.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. It was one of those things where I believe Joe just pointed to it on the menu.
0: All right. So we got two, two down.
1: Yes. What else did you try? Beignets. Oh, you you never had beignets before? I mean. Hayden, this is me, buddy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess, but it's a donut.
1: Well, it's a different kind of donut. It's a pastry. It's okay, an English okay. fritter, if you would. Yes, but but you had it at Cafe du Monde. I mean, you have to, right?
0: Yes, you have to. Yes, 100%. 100%. Did you get the Cafe LA? No.
1: no. I did it last time that I went to New Orleans for All Star, and I did not like it. It was too much like coffee. Okay, so you you don't,
0: uh, yes, you don't do the coffee, I forgot. But,
1: okay, so. Yeah, I like my coffee when it doesn't taste anything like coffee.
0: But they have a, they have something called, um, they have something called, uh, I think it's a frozen cafe au lait or something like that. It's kind of like a milkshake. Mm. Did you mm. try that either?
1: No, I didn't try that either. All right,
0: so beignets, that was the next stop.
1: Yeah, so, so that, that was the extent long. of it. That was the extent of it. All right,
0: all right. Yeah, that was pretty That's good. good. That's not too bad. That's not yeah, good. And,
1: and I went to Emeril Lagasse's restaurant, and that was awesome. Had lunch there before the game. And which? what did you have? I had chicken. No oh, chicken? Yeah, we're, chicken we're, under a brick. Okay, which
0: Emeril Lagasse restaurant? Doesn't he have a couple?
1: Yeah, he has a couple. The one that we went to was called Merrill. Merrill, okay, I've heard of that. Yep, it all was right. very good. I highly recommend it if people are going to New Orleans. Yes, all
0: right, I like it, I like it. So we got some Boudie. We got some yep.
1: beignets, and we yep. got what was the other thing again? Pork cheeks,
0: pork cheeks, pork yeah. cheeks with pumpkin puree. I like it. Yeah, I yeah. love it. I love it actually. That's awesome. So what? So the next road trip is. Have you? You've obviously looked at it. It's like yeah, a two the next one's right? the
1: biggie. Yeah, it's yeah. the biggie in March. It's the um, MAC tournament road trip.
0: Yes. Okay. MAC tournament road trip and coming up. Yeah, so You got Chicago.
1: You got yep. Charlotte.
0: You got yep. Atlanta. You got Houston, Orlando, and Indianapolis. Yeah. yeah. Not too many like crazy. I mean, they all have good food scenes, I'm sure. Oh yeah, but, like
1: yeah, like Chicago,
0: you could get anything. Charlotte, Charlotte, do you have a favorite spot in Charlotte? I sure do.
1: Absolutely. What's it called? It's one of my favorite stops all year. It's called Mertz. It's a down home Southern place. Oh, it's so good. And you get what? Oh, get stop, you know with what? It.
0: Hold on. Oh, you said it already. What was it?
1: Chicken and ribs, brother checking the ribs
0: all right well we'll have to save some of these for the future pods because you know it's a 2 week trip we got to yeah. are you are you i will ask you are you going to head to disney when you're in orlando
1: i don't know i'm probably going to go to disney springs i always go to disney springs it depends on what time my flight gets into orlando i'm not sure it's it's so hard because we only get one real off day yeah. when we go on these road trips and it's usually the day that we arrive yeah. So it's like, do you want to get right off a plane, check into your hotel room and go to Disney? And is there enough time to do that? I don't know. I'm gonna contemplate it though, because I didn't go the first time we went to Orlando. It looks
0: like you have some time between Chicago and Charlotte.
1: Yeah. It looks like you have some time between
0: Atlanta and Houston. Yeah. So you'll you might have some time to go to some good spots
1: out there. Yeah, I don't know what there's to do in Atlanta. We have an extra off day in Atlanta. And I'm not oh sure. Oh my
0: God. What are you What are you doing in Atlanta? Have you ever been to the Coke factory? No,
1: I've never been to the Coke factory. Well, go to the Coke factory, man. What am I going to do there? Do you like Coca Cola, don't you? I like Coke Zero. Uh, perfect. They have plenty of Coke Zero. But come check, on. Check Hayden. out the Coke Zero. Hey, <laughs> that's the best you got for me. You
0: go to the varsity. Have you ever been to the varsity?
1: I've never been to the varsity. No.
0: The varsity is like a like a um old-time like hamburger diner joint pretty good okay check that out go see georgia tech
1: brother i think my definition of fun on the road is a little bit different than your definition of fun on the road i'm not gonna go no 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 no. yeah
0: my definition of fun on the road is finding a bar and (laughs) you know that's again we're a little bit different in that way
1: you told me to go to the coke factory
0: well, during the day maybe. I mean, listen, if it were up to me, I'll find a good brewery and I'll go bar hopping all day. That's that's that would be my that would be a good day for me.
1: I'm currently looking up a list of things to do in Atlanta. All right. I'm a little bit terrified to see what comes up. Yeah, six things to do in Atlanta. Make yeah. your trip memorable.
0: Number one through six are probably strip clubs. I didn't yes, want to really, I really didn't want to mention that, but I, I guess we have to now.
1: That's kind of what Atlanta is known for, right? Uh, the yeah. Georgia Aquarium is near the top of the list. There you go.
0: Uh,
1: oh, my God. The World of Coca-Cola and CNN Center Combo Tour with Transportation.
0: Told you. See, I don't know about CNN. I, I,
1: I, I'm in, a, I'm in a,
0: around enough news. I don't know if I need that.
1: Uh, let's see. Atlanta Sightseeing Bus Tour. Probably not going to do that.
0: Oh, um, isn't the Martin Luther King? No. Is that a me- no? The, the the memorial is in Atlanta, isn't it?
1: I have no idea. Oh yeah, Dr. King's Civil Rights Tour. Yeah, you should do that. Yep. That would be that's, cool. That's something that would be cool. I'm gonna yeah, put that there. Up. You go. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that came up. That's number five on this list. Okay. Then there's Legoland. Ooh, that sounds like a blast. Is that for adults?
0: I'm guessing no,
1: but you there never know. <laughs> Here we go. New at Legoland Discovery Center Atlanta, the ultimate Lego. Uh Ninja Go. Fans of all ages. See? I'm all ages.
0: I can't wait till uh till somebody on the road, a Cavs <laughs> fan in Atlanta, finds you at Legoland. Can't wait. By yourself, just hanging around Legoland. <laughs>
1: Sounds maybe you like can bring, a blast.
0: Maybe maybe you can bring Kelsey with you or something. So it's it we
1: weird looking. There we go. Sounds like a blast. Oh, all
0: all right, well, as you continue to look for things to do in Atlanta, we'll let you get going. I know you got to get to the game tonight. I will see you yeah. on Wednesday night Cavaliers playing the Boston Celtics and then this Ooh. weekend. Yeah. Oh yeah. Axe throwing. Axe Oh yeah, axe we can do that anywhere, but yeah, axe throwing would be fun. Well, I've never done it, so that would be fun.
1: Oh yeah. Have you ever oh. seen
0: it on like uh You ever seen it on the like the Instagram or anything like that, Twitter where they throw the axes and like it comes back and hits them, nearly hits them in the head? Yes, that would be, be- car- be careful. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. We, we need you for the next podcast. Yeah, well, that's true.
1: <laughs> Only right. for that.
0: We got to go. You got to go. Enjoy the all game right. tonight. We'll see you Wednesday, and we'll be back next Monday. Thank you, folks, for listening to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, and we will get to your questions next week on the podcast. We can send You can send them into our Twitter accounts at H underscore Grove and at Chris Fedor. You can uh, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and the iTunes Store. And again, we appreciate you joining us, and we will talk to you next week. Until then, see you later.